The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. I am so excited today because we have someone I love on the air, a national civil rights leader for people with disabilities. Truly, though, just a great leader, a great person from when I first met her. I really, really connected until I found out she was a Boston Bruins fan. Now, if you're a Stanley Cup follower, here we are. The Penguins are down too, and we're and you know what? This and is the like are up too. <laughs> yeah, and she had the nerve to say to me, all you Pittsburgh people listening right now, that our <laughs> Penguins aren't getting enough fish. Yeah, These I was trying to figure. Words. I'm trying to help you here, Joyce. I mean, what could it possibly words. be? <sighs> well, uh, we still love you. We still love well, thank you. Thank you. I still love you too, and uh, and. You know, this will shake out the way it shakes out. Yeah, those of us in know, Boston, those of us in Boston know very well that you can come from behind uh, after you're down a few games. So uh, we're not we're not counting our chickens yet. Well, just remember, if we lose, we will then become Boston Bruins fans, and we are definitely Red Sox fans. That is. For all my listeners from New York, sorry, but we are Red Sox fans. I'll probably get a million calls right now. Time <laughs> me, they're no longer going to listen to my show. But, oh, Chris, no, they won't do it's that. It's so great to have you with us today. You, I'll tell you, I say this about Yoshiko Dart, who I love. Yoshiko, I know you always listen, and you know I love you, Yoshiko. And I want to tell you what I always say about Yoshiko Dart. She's the real deal. Yeah, and you know what? I say the same thing about Chris Griffin. She's the real deal. She really, really cares about quality of life and employment for people with disabilities. And now here she is leading the advocacy fight at the Disability Law Center of Massachusetts. Chris, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Joyce. It's great to be here. So why? Why did you join and run as the executive director, the Disability Law Center. What made you want to do that? Well, I, I, some people don't know this, but it's actually a job that I had uh, for about 10 years before I went to um, Washington, D.C. as a commissioner at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And it was a job that I loved. It wasn't one I really wasn't looking for another job when the EEOC opportunity presented itself and with encouragement from a number of people, including Senator uh, Ted Kennedy, I decided that I could contribute um, uh, by doing the the uh, by taking on the the position at the EOC. And so I left to to go do that, and 
as you know, I went on to do some other things in Washington, D.C., and and then came back to Massachusetts about a little over a year and a half ago. And, uh, I, you know, I never really thought about coming back to this job, but when the opportunity presented itself, I realized that that this was a job I loved. I love, I'm an attorney. Um, I love the legal work on behalf of people with disabilities, uh, as well as the other things that come with the director job. And I, again, once the opportunity presented itself, I thought that is how I would like to spend the rest of my career, doing this work. Oh, that is awesome, and it's no surprise to me because I knew this was how you started, and I know that your heart and spirit have always been there, so I know for everyone in Massachusetts, they are lucky to have you. So, Chris, you know, you were talking about other things you've done, but in a little bit more detail, why don't you explain to everyone what you did before on a national level? Okay, well, after I left here, I became a, a commissioner, one of the Democratic commissioners on the bipartisan EEOC commission. And so um, I was a Democratic commissioner appointed by President Bush. Um, and I did that for uh, about three years. I actually filled the remainder of a term that was uh, vacated by uh, Paul Miller. Um, so I was lucky enough to, to follow him and his footsteps at the EEOC and uh, finished off uh, that term. And, um, and that was an interesting time to be there uh, under, under President Bush. And then um, uh, when that, as that, that time was drawing uh, to a close, uh, the national election occurred and President Obama was elected. And he, you know, upon uh, uh, coming into to office in January of 2009, appointed myself and uh, the other Democratic commissioner, uh, 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 Ishimaru, he appointed us to be the, the, um, the chair and the vice chair of the EOC. And so we did that job for some time. But at the same time, he was um, the the folks at the White House were talking to me about uh, whether I was interested in becoming the deputy director over at the Office of Personnel Management. I had spent a lot of time at EEOC saying that we could actually increase employment of people with disabilities in the federal government if only the Office of Personnel Management would cooperate and make sure that they implemented um, ways ways for that to happen. And so I think uh, people heard me saying that and offered me the opportunity to, to go over to OPM and work there, uh, focusing on uh, such things as diversity and inclusion in the federal government, which we know, of course, includes people with disabilities. It's not always um, readily noticeable, but that it does and that we needed to work on that. And more importantly, I got to uh, help draft the president's executive order on increasing federal employment and then, more importantly, implementing that while I was at the Office of Personal Management. So I've had the opportunity to work uh, at the national level and do some very exciting, important things that focus solely on employment of people with disabilities, either in the federal government or throughout the country. Well, that is really puts you in the position of having great perspective 
uh, issues that we have to deal with. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about the DLC in Massachusetts, uh-huh. just to make sure people understand a little bit more about it. Okay. Um, how, how approximately how many cases a year do you handle at the Disability Law Center? Well, we get about anywhere between nine and ten thousand requests for help every year from wow. people with disabilities in with and and their family members within the state. Now. That, you know, some of those uh, are things that we either, you know, for whatever reason can't help them with and we provide them with information and referral um, or short-term assistance to help them uh, figure out how to get through whatever the issue is. And ultimately, those requests will boil down to um, roughly two to 300 what I would say full-blown legal cases that we will accept. We are a legal organization. We're part of what's called the Protection Advocacy System throughout the whole country. There's an organization like mine in every single state and territory. Uh, There's even one uh, specifically for Native Americans. And we're really responsible for providing protection advocacy for the rights of, of all residents in Massachusetts with disabilities. Uh, it sounds governmental. It's not. We're a private nonprofit. We receive federal, state, and private funding. Uh, and we, our mission is really to promote the fundamental rights of all people with disabilities to participate fully and equally in the social and economic life of Massachusetts. And so we'll provide information and referral, technical assistance, and legal representation. Uh, we provide free legal services to people who are eligible uh, for our services, and we try and strike a balance between systemic advocacy and individual representation. And uh, we provide a lot of trainings um, for the community uh, as well as uh, technical assistance to just about anybody who, who needs our help. So we try and do a lot. We have very limited staff and resources and... Uh, and we try and stretch it as far as we can. You know, I wonder why it is. Why would you say it is, Chris, that so many people are not aware of uh, of the opportunities to go to a protection and advocacy group? I don't know. I mean, there, again, there's one in every state. Um, National Disability Rights Network is our membership organization. So if anyone wanted to connect with the Protection Advocacy Agency in their state, they can go to NDRN, uh, NDRN.org and, uh, and find out who is the Protection Advocacy Agency in their state. Uh, but we're, a, we're an amazing resource that was really established by Congress uh, many, many years ago to provide legal advocacy for people. It started out initially only for people with developmental disabilities after Congress became aware of horrific conditions in uh, institutions uh, back in the um, back mid-70s, 1975. Uh, and once they were aware of that, they became aware of other conditions and other types of institutions for people with psychiatric disabilities. And then they started to really see the value over the years of having an entity like us in every state 
that can advocate for people on a variety of issues. It could be anything from getting out of an institution to uh, to helping people advocate for a reasonable accommodation at their workplace. So it's really any area that that a person feels they are being discriminated against mm-hmm. or uh, excluded from. Exactly. So any denial of services based on your disability, any type of discrimination based on disability. You're denied housing because you uh, have a disability. You're being evicted because you have a disability. You're being fired because you have a disability. You know, I, and people say, you know, a lot of people think this stuff doesn't exist. We have an intake this week that we'll be discussing at case review tomorrow of a young woman, you know, in her 30s, uh, um, gets diagnosed with breast cancer, goes through uh, a mastectomy and chemo and other things, and uh, and gets fired. And her employer sort of makes up some story about why she's being fired, but at the same meeting where he's firing her, he does refer to her health issues. And um, so, you know, a lot of people think... Oh, that is terrible. Yeah, they think this stuff doesn't happen anymore. And a lot of people who get cancer and other other types of disabilities like that don't even think of themselves as a person with a disability until something like this happens to them. And then they're, they're happy to know that there's some protection that's been established for them. Uh, now, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that she'll get her job back, but uh, she is, you know, she is a victim of, of discrimination. Now, when you go, when you get involved in this, do you handle this completely, or then does it go to EEOC, or how does that work? Well, for something like that, an employment case like that, if she decides that she wants to file uh, a complaint uh, against her uh, uh, her employer, she would have to do something that's called exhaust her administrative remedies. So, yes, she would have to file in in this state with what is called the Mass Commission Against Discrimination, which is a, a state agency. And then when she does that, she'll automatically be uh, filing a complaint with EEOC. So both entities. And then she has uh, some choices to make along the way about how she proceeds. Uh, but, no, that in employment, employment's different than some other uh, discrimination uh, cases that we get in that you do have to exhaust your administrative remedies. So the 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 somewhere along the way people decided that, you know, here was a, a state and federal agencies that can actually help you resolve this issue. And uh and but they have authority. They have full enforcement authority within the state uh against that employer if he's discriminating. Well in that case would you still be involved though afterwards helping see it through or would you yeah. just turn it yeah we may do that we may uh, you know help represent them at the state agency where they will go through a series of fact-finding uh, uh, conferences uh, they'll ask if you want to mediate it uh, may go through mediation and can go all, go all the way to a hearing you also after a certain amount of time can actually ask that that be removed from the State agency, and you and and you ask EEOC's permission as well, and you could file the case in court. So there's a number of options and things that happen along the way that uh, 
that cause people to, you know, you sit down and explain the person, you know, what the development is, what their rights are, and then they make a decision about how they want to proceed. But yeah, sometimes, you know, we would stay, we would stay involved right through, uh, till, till the case is resolved. Now you said employment is one thing. What, what do you see the most through your law center? What form of discrimination do you see the most? Well, we see a lot. It's it's different depending on um, on uh, the disability someone has. We get an awful lot of calls from parents asking for help with special education cases, and uh, we you know have a just a, a number of and this is nationwide that there are just a number of parents out there that are fighting on a daily basis to get their kids the education that they need, to get transition services that they need so we can actually make sure the kids with disabilities have the same opportunities to, you know, learn about how to prepare for for a, a life of working. And the schools have a legal obligation. They have a federal and a state obligation to do that, uh, and yet time and time again we don't see it done. So that's a, that's a huge issue here in Massachusetts. We get a lot of calls about um, employment discrimination, housing discrimination. Uh, there's still a tremendous amount of um, discrimination in housing, uh, and, and we handle a lot of those types of cases. We have a lot of people that are denied uh, services, whether it's by a state agency or whether it's uh, by a private entity such as a hospital, a uh, medical provider. Uh, we, we still see a number of those issues as well. So it's, it's quite varied. Now, if someone believes a younger person, I guess it could be any age, but I'm just using this example because I know of this, feels they are trapped in a nursing facility um, uh-huh. unjustly and trying to get out. Would you get involved in that? Yep, absolutely. Yep, we would. And uh, we work with the independent living centers and other entities in the state uh, to make sure that people are advised of their rights uh, in, when someone's admitting to a, admitted to a nursing uh, facility uh, there is an obligation for someone to sit down with them and actually explain that they don't have to stay there if they don't want to. Now, it gets a little more complicated when someone has a guardian who has placed them there and is insisting that they stay, uh, But um, and, and we work on those issues as well. What we try and do in a case like that is make sure that the guardian understands that there are all sorts of resources and uh, um, organizations out there that can provide services to people so that they can live independently and productively in the community. And a lot of times the the guardian just may not be aware of it and may, may think that, you know, this is a person who can't take care of themselves without help. And what we point out is there is help. Help exists. And there are all sorts of uh, grants that, that uh, a lot of states have you know, one is called Money Falls the Person, which provides services to people who are getting out of any type of an institution uh, that they've been in. An, they have to qualify uh, in that they've been in an institution 90 days or more, 
and and if they're eligible, um, we can actually help them get out and get them services. So it might be personal care attendant services, it might be homemaking services, <clears throat> it might be uh, you know um, really anything that they may need to live independently. Might be medical equipment that they need. So there are there are. There are certainly ways and uh, um, an intent, I think, on, part of, on the part of the federal government and the state government uh, to make sure that people do have opportunities to live in the community. And yet we still see them going into facilities. <clears throat> you know what, Chris? Let me tell you what amazes me. People listening to this show today may be more tuned in than others uh, because of the listening audience I have, uh-huh. but still, I think there would be many people listening to this show that would be shocked to know that these things are not unusual. In other words, no. if you would go and you would talk maybe to someone in the business community or, or just anywhere, an agency, a church, a synagogue, I don't care where it would be, that isn't really involved directly in the disability yeah, community, yeah. and if you would tell them there's a lot of discrimination that goes on today, I, I don't think they'd believe it. I think they'd be shocked. Yeah, I think a lot of people are shocked, and yet, of course, you work at a place like this, you know, you see it every single day. Uh, you know, it, it's, you know, just like that, that case I just told you about, you know, here's a young woman, gets diagnosed with breast cancer. You would think, aren't we a little more advanced than that? Don't employers... Wouldn't an employer, you know, for a good employee, want to uh, make sure that they helped her through this period of of time in her life, knowing that, you know, uh, it 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 it's short term, um, you know, the treatment, and that she could be back good as new, uh, um, in a short period of time, and yet, you know, I, I think some employers just think, well. You know, if you have to take time off for chemotherapy or radiation, uh, you're not, you know, you're not available to me, and so therefore I'll get rid of you and get somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I, I don't know, I just, I think most people think we've come much further than that. That we have, you know, the Family Medical Leave Act. We have all sorts of legal protections and opportunities for this person to be able to get the treatment that she needs and maintain her uh, position with the company, and yet um, employers don't always think like that. And uh... I'll give you an example. Just this morning, someone called me, and they were talking about a friend of theirs that lives in uh, the central United States area that is a uh, special education teacher but has acquired a disability that impacted her vision, so she's losing yeah. her sight. She does have a service dog, et cetera, and that yeah. they told her at the school that they didn't want her to continue teaching because she wouldn't be able to see the classroom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, special education, too. I know. You, you know, again, it's, you think we're advanced. You think that we've figured this out. You think that we we understand that, that there's amazing technology out there that would allow that teacher to keep doing the job that she was doing. And just because she's lost her vision doesn't mean she can't still do that job. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's amazing. Who would better be able to work with young people with disabilities than a person with a disability? Right, Would exactly. this not give you hope? 
Wait, I can make it. Look, look at this teacher of mine. And I know the person, I just can't understand, though, how people think it's legal to do all these things. Yeah. And And you know, a a lot of us acquire disabilities as we go through life. Uh, it's just it's part of the human condition, and we should all be open to how how we can make sure that that person is still able to do uh, what they did before. And if not, what what kind of training do they need to do something different? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But most of us, most of us can continue to to do very well because of the technology and other um, uh, accommodations that, that we know exist, most of mm-hmm. which don't cost much of anything. And yet right. sometimes, you know, employers and other folks just can only can only think of of what was lost and how that and how that impacts the job, not what could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you. Yep. So if um, I am one of these people you're talking about, and I believe I am being discriminated against, what do I do to contact well, To what? What is my step I take? Okay. If you were here in Massachusetts, you would give us a call, and uh, we're at 617-723-8455, or our 800 number is 800-872-9992. And we have TTY numbers. You can actually, we have uh, a website, dlc-ma.org. So Disability Law Center-MA for Massachusetts.org. Uh, and and uh, all of our contact information is there as well. We have a local TTY number and an 800 TTY number. And you would give us a call. And first thing, you would talk to somebody uh, um and they would actually get some basic information from you. And if you were calling with something that we really didn't do, let's say you were a person with a disability, but you were really calling about, you know, getting a mortgage for your house or something like that, we would, that person would be able to refer you to the right uh, legal help that you need for that issue. Uh, if it was something that we do, um, we would be interested in, in talking to you about. Uh, the next step would be an intake paralegal would contact you and uh, within a day or two, and you would go into much greater detail about the legal problem or issue that you're having. And then that person would uh, consult with an attorney, an attorney of the day. Uh, as a matter of fact, today I'm the attorney of the day here at the Disability Law Center, and I'd answer any questions that the intake paralegal would have, or I may say go back and ask uh, for this information from that person, and um, and then we'll make a decision there whether that case would be warrants going further into uh, case review. And then once a week we all get together as a staff uh, and we talk about the cases that are a case review and have a full discussion about uh, a variety of issues that may not even have been readily apparent when, when the person was doing the intake, and uh, then make a decision from there. If we're taking the case, who's going to do it? And uh, and that's how it happens. Wow. I would think I hit the gold mine if I got you as my attorney of the day. Oh, I don't know. 
Yes, I do know. Well, listen, we're going to take a break, and then okay. we'll come right back. Okay. If you just joined us, we are talking to Chris Griffin, Executive Director of the Disability Law Center of Massachusetts and a great national civil rights leader for all of us living with disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show, and we're talking to Chris Griffin today, the Executive Director of the Disability Law Center of Massachusetts and a true civil rights leader in the United States. And before we get started, I think we have the king of civil rights in the United States on the line here. Tony, are you on the line? I sure am. Tony, Tony. It's a privilege to be on the call with Chris Griffin. Um, oh, Tony, it's a privilege to have you call. Well, no, it's great to be with you, Chris. Uh, for all the listeners, uh, everyone should know just how much Chris Griffin has done for those of us with uh, disabilities. Uh, she's a real trooper, has been there, has been a fighter, has been one who uh, knows the disability law and has been one who has to has had to interpret uh, the ADA. It's uh, one thing to pass uh, uh, the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, but then it's another to actually to be in the trip at, in the in the uh, uh, ditches to interpret to be in the trenches there to interpret the uh, the law. And Chris was there. She's the one who had to interpret it to insist upon it. 
and she fought hard to make sure that it was interpreted correctly, um, and then was the one who was there at uh, Office of Personnel Management uh, making sure that the federal government uh, hired people with disabilities to get the um, government, the federal government, uh, uh, employing those of us with disabilities to start the process going um, because uh, the federal government is the one who can set the stage to get the employment going in the right directions if it wants to. And Chris is one of those who has really uh, got the federal government rolling and, and um, making sure that these federal agencies uh, do what they're supposed to be doing. So uh, Chris Griffin is one of those I really love and appreciate all that she's done. So it really is a privilege and an honor for me to call and tell uh, Joyce, your listeners, just how much uh, Chris has done for those of us in the disability movement. So, Chris, I love you. Appreciate it. Oh, Tony, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to call in and saying all those nice things. Um, I love this work, and I, and I do think that we're making a difference. And you've, you know... You spearheaded this way back when with the with the ADA getting passed, and um, we we do have the opportunity to to make sure it goes in the right direction, uh, and uh, and that's part of what we do here at the Disability Law Center. Well, it, I think it's great that you're heading this up uh, for the for the state. Uh, you've been through your own trials and tribulations, and that's what makes you even a stronger advocate. Yeah. And that's what I, why I love you even more. Um, I thank you. Uh, a lot of us with disabilities, uh, uh, some of us uh, give up and don't fight. Uh, some of us uh, charge even harder uh, to yeah. make a difference. And you're one of those who leads the parade in uh, fighting harder. And uh, that's what makes you even that much more special. So, Thanks, um, well. If I'm leading the parade, you're definitely out, really out in front as the conductor. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know what? Tony Quello is the only person I know. Now, Tony, when I use this analogy, I'm not making a comparison here, but you know how you know Cher by just that name, Cher? This is how it is in our disability yeah. community. Yeah. You don't have to say Quello. You just say Tony. Am I right, right. Brent? Right. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. No matter yeah. what the issue is, they'll say, what about Tony? Call yeah. Tony. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. It's yeah. Tony, yeah. period. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, that is how, that's because of how great you are, Tony, and it is so nice of you to call in. Yeah, very nice. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, there, I, I really do um, appreciate and love Chris for all that uh, you've done. So uh, when Joyce told me you were going to be on the show today, I had to make sure I took the time to call you and let uh, Joyce's listeners know just how special you are, Chris. So I thank you. It's great to be on the call with you. Thank God you. bless you, and keep fighting the fight. You're wonderful. Okay. Okay, Will love do. you. Okay. Thanks, Tony. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. Tony. Thank you, Joyce. Bye-bye. This is how you have to say Tony Quello is the epitome of being humble. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes, he I, do. I do. takes time to yeah. lift up. He, he is, in my life, he is the king of empowerment. 
There is no question about that. I just think so highly of him. But, Chris, that just makes my point of how highly everyone thinks of you. Oh, I thank you. Thanks, Joyce. But, I, you know, I'm just thrilled that he called. I love hearing his voice. I haven't talked to him in ages, and and it's uh, and it's great that he took the time. I mean, hey, you and I have talked. This is a guy who actually could just sit back and say, okay, I've done enough. And uh, and yet he, he too, um, continues to fight, continues to stay engaged in the, in the struggle for civil rights and especially employment for people with disabilities. He knows how important it is, and so he doesn't stop, and it's, and it's great. It, it, it inspires the rest of us to keep going. Well, we seem to be getting a lot of powerhouses calling in today to the show. Uh, Mark, are you on the line? I am here. Mark Periello, back from oh, Aruba. Mark. Yes. Back really? Were you in Aruba? I was. I was down there with my family. It was my mom's 70th birthday, so a few of us went down to celebrate with her. It was, um, it was nice to get away for a little bit, um, and I'm glad to be back to continue the fight. Yep, yep. Well, well I'm glad to have you back, Mark. Nice. We I missed mean, you. Is, I missed you, um, and it is an honor to be on the phone with two amazing leaders in disability um, and two of my favorite AAPD board members, by the way, my chair, Joyce Bender, um, and you, Chris Griffin. Right. Thank you, Mark. How nice. Well, Mark, do you, in addition to that, do you have any uh, comments or questions you have for Chris? Um, Yeah, Chris, I was just um, wondering if you could tell folks uh, a little bit about um, the advisory board that you have agreed to join um, as part of the USBLN and AAPD partnership um, on the corporate rating system that we're developing. Um, Just any thoughts and hopes you have um, for that work? Um, That will be coming together pretty soon. I know we're just getting going, but um, I think it's exciting that we have an opportunity to you know, probably look at employment from a different angle and to really start looking at employers that are doing a great job at, at actually, uh, you know, employing people with disabilities. I'm excited about that. I think uh, for far too long, um, you know, we really have missed the mark in in honoring, honoring employers that are really doing this. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, the... the a lot of times there are employers that are sort of dabbling on the fringes. And uh, and while their intent may be good, their actual record of employment uh, isn't all that great. And so I'm really looking forward to us delving into how we, how we actually figure that out, um, how we help employers uh, recognize whether they're good at this or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and and being able to to recognize the good work that they're doing, probably more importantly than recognizing it, having them teach it to other employers uh, will would be my hope. I, I hope at the end of this, what we're really seeing is an increase in employment of people with disabilities. Right, right. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge will be? I think the biggest challenge is always in getting employers to understand that they can ask uh, uh, their employers, I mean their employees, to identify uh, voluntarily as people with disabilities. 
Uh, I think there is a, there's a lot of fear and misconception about what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, and while they can't ask someone, you know, in the middle of a job interview, do you have a disability, uh, and make a decision on hiring based on that, I think there are ways that they can actually, uh, uh, in a voluntary way, uh, ask employees to self-identify much like they do in the federal government. Right. And to really be able to assess themselves. If you're a company and you're out there recruiting people with disabilities, you're doing a serious job of recruiting people to come and work for you, um, you need to know whether you're actually doing a good job or not. Uh, mm-hmm. It's easy when you did that with, uh, you know, different people from different races and ethnicities, um, all women, you were able to see what your results were. Right. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, with people with, uh, with hidden disabilities, it's not readily apparent. So to be able to help companies assess themselves, on whether their recruitment, their retention, and advancement uh, activities are actually working uh, is important. Yep. And you know what I would say about that, uh, Mark and Chris? Everyone knows this, but I really have a problem when I see companies getting an award that are not employing people with disabilities. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And yet, I know companies are employing lots of people with disabilities that are not acknowledged. So yeah. I am hoping that this will, just the way uh, uh, HRC made a difference, I hope this will make a difference that people will go to our quality index to see, you know, uh, comments, the status of different uh, companies in the United States. Right, right. Yeah, it should be really exciting, and I think, you know, my hope is your hope as well is that this is a really great tool for companies to use so that they can really get a firm understanding of where they are um, and it's not a free pass. Right, right. And I think if, you know, when the, when not if, when the 503 regs uh, come out uh, and I think a lot of the uh, people, a lot of employees that take federal uh, money um, will be required to comply with this uh, and the 503 regs, which folks now focus on employment of people with disabilities, I, I think this will help them as they as they find counterparts that have learned how to do this over the years because they wanted to do it, not because they were required to do it. Uh, they're going to be able to hopefully teach some of the other employers what what their best practices have been. And if we could highlight that for people, all the better. Yep, yep. Actually, I have a question to ask both of you about that. Number one, Chris, do you feel that will be the thing that moves the needle on employment? I know Tony's always thinking that, and I hope, and I, I hope that will be true. But, uh, and Mark, you can comment on this also. If we know this is coming, all these companies through SHRM and different groups, they know this is coming. Wouldn't you think that would have caused them to be putting a big plan in place and, you know, focused on, oh, my goodness, I've got to get out there and recruit people with disabilities? So why isn't that happening? So number one, Chris, do you think this will move the needle on employment? 
And then number two, both of you, what's your opinion of the second question? Well, I think it will move the needle, uh, but, you know, enforcement of this is necessary. So the Department of Labor who enforces the other aspects of um, of affirmative action in fed- for federal contractors is, is going to have to enforce this as well. And and that's when I think a lot of times employers sit back and say, okay, well, how serious are they going to be? Um, you know, do I really need to spend resources now doing this when, you know, it may not be um, it may not be enforced. Uh, it, this administration may not be serious about this. So I think people sit back and wait. I think that's why we're not seeing a lot of activity. What do you think, yeah. Mark? Yeah, I think that it will move the needle. Um, I think it has the potential to move the needle. Again, I agree with Chris that a lot of it will come down to enforcement um, and making sure that an enforcement mechanism is in place and used. Um, a lot of times, if you know, you can pass all the laws in the world, right? But just yeah, this right. is actually a great example. You know, yeah. 40, 40 years later, um, this section of uh, the Rehabilitation Act has never been enforced. Um, right. And so the the regulation is hopefully will when it comes out will be strong, um, and you know the enforcement piece will go along with that. Uh, I think in terms of you know why aren't companies moving more quickly? Um, you know, first I would highlight some of the companies that are right and that have been doing this for a long time: yeah, CFC, right. American Airlines, Bayer, um, you know, Amerigroup. The list really goes on. There are some great companies, Highmark. Um, and others, uh, Giant CSC, Eagle. CSC. Um, yeah. yeah, CSC. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I hope yeah, when that, no right? one was telling them that they had to do it, they've been doing it for years. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so my hope is that these companies will learn from their peers um, just as much as they will learn from, you know, the stick of the federal government. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think it takes the requirement to move to a position of want. Right. And I think yeah. that when you look at what has happened with a lot of other um, civil rights movements, you know, first came right the government mandate. Um, eventually, people understood the value of diversity um, in right. a very different right. way because they saw right. it in action. And I, hopefully that will be the case here as well. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Obviously, there are companies that uh, value their employees with disabilities. They have seen the value of the diversity that that, that and what the diversity brings um uh to the to the workplace and uh really having them talk to their counterparts is going to be probably more important than anything mhm so yeah. if we can facilitate that happening that's going to be really important yeah i too think it'll move the needle um but as you just said that has to be clear about the enforcement yeah. and yeah. so hopefully yeah. it will be um, and Mark, I know you will be helping lead that charge for us at AAPD, and I thank you so much for calling in. No problem. My pleasure. Um, have a good afternoon. Yeah, Alrighty. thanks, Mark. Take care. Bye. Bye. So, Chris, you're popular today. Oh, that was nice of them to call. Yes. Well, you are a new board member of AAPD, and it is an honor to have you um, on the board. Um, you know... This high unemployment, you and I have talked about this many times, but if you had to say, in your opinion, 
what you think are the reasons people don't want to hire people with disabilities. What, what do you think it is? Well, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a, oh God, there's always a, a list of excuses that different employees have for not hiring people with disabilities. And, and I, you know, I mean, we could sit and go over them one by one and why they're, they're false to some degree or why their perceptions are not reality. But, you know, one of the things that you and I worked on, you continue to work on, that I think was most valuable, was that in the federal government, we actually really sat down and and wrote down all the excuses that that, uh, employers give for not hiring people with disabilities. I can't find them. There's no one qualified to do what I need them to do. You know, you name it. And we actually started to take all those excuses away. And I think that's the thing that's going to move the needle. The more we can take away the excuses and, and, and provide, really provide people who are, who are ready to go to work that are capable of doing whatever the job is that that particular employer wants, much like you do, that's what's going to really move the needle. I think if we could set up uh, a database like we did with the federal government uh, that you work on to populate, uh, if we could do that everywhere, I think we'd be much better off. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think if we could say to employers, here is a list of people that fit the needs of a lot of the jobs that you are filling on an annual basis, uh, here they are. They happen to have disabilities, but, you know, they're doesn't make them any less qualified than anybody else that you're looking at. And if you really are serious about uh, providing, uh, you know, opportunities for people with disabilities and increasing diversity, disability diversity within your organization, here you go. Here's a list of people. I think the more we're able to do that choice, uh, the better off uh, we're going to be. Because you and I both know it's it's. We don't need more training. We don't need sensitivity training. We don't need, you know, we just don't need all of the stuff that we've been doing for 40-plus years. We need people to get jobs because it is when people have jobs and are working side-by-side with the non-disabled peer that people start to see people differently. I've said this to you before. For me, it isn't just about a person getting a job, although that's important. It's not just about their net worth and their self-worth, although all of that's important. To me, we are not going to change society's views in this country about people with disabilities until we have a critical mass of people working successfully in, in the workplace, no matter where it is in the country. And that is the only time that I see other people uh, really, the, the disability starts to disappear for the other people in the workplace. When you can do a job, the same job side by side, that disability really does start to become not relevant. And I think we have an opportunity through employment to change society's views of how, change society's perception of what people with disabilities can and cannot do in this country. Mm-hmm. And what they're like, period. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree yep, with exactly. you. Exactly. Well, we, will, well, Chris, we will get rid of you, all the fears, myths, and stereotypes, but we need to get people into jobs. And I think anything we can do to get people into those jobs um, uh, is, is what's needed. And yes, we don't I need agree. to talk about it a lot. We don't need to do any training. 
We just need to get them the jots. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just do it. Yep, just well, do it. Chris, since you left the federal government, now you've already done so much in your entire life, but since you've left, or even while you were there, what would you say, in your opinion, was your greatest accomplishment? I think, you know, if you look at, you know, some of the stuff I did on a national basis, I think, you know, some of the most important work was, you know, getting that executive order signed by the president and then being able to implement it at the Office of Personnel Management. And really, you know, for me, it was changing the culture at the Office of Personnel Management. It wasn't just me. It was a lot of people. But it was it was truly... Um, changing that from a place uh, that, you know, when I was at EEOC under the Bush administration, had no interest in promoting employment of people with disabilities and uh, to a place that went above and beyond in promoting uh, employment of people with disabilities and truly including in the diversity inclusion discussions, uh, not just the word disability, but the spirit and intent of diversity and inclusion that people with disabilities bring. So I think that was some of the most important work um, on a national level. But, you know, on a local level, you know, for me it's, you know, it's things that happen every day. I'm, I'm helping a person right now who, you know, has got a psychiatric disability, uh, get into a, a new apartment, um, dealing with the utility. He has a... a uh, uh, back, uh, a bill for, um, ele- electric for power, uh, that is, that has grown over time because of hospitalizations he's had. And, you know, helping him figure that out, how to make sure that he can get into the new apartment, get a, 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 a make sure that he has power turned on by the company while he works out a payment plan with them. You know, some of those little things that you do and you see what a difference it makes in someone's life, they end up being, you know, some of the most important things that you do. Uh, so, you know, getting someone a reasonable accommodation that that helps them keep their job, uh, helping someone get a reasonable accommodation that helps them keep the home that they've had, uh, those are all very, very big quality of life issues that may only impact that person and that family, but... Um, they they mean everything. Yeah, that is an everyday. Yeah. Everyday great accomplishment. Well, yeah. Chris, if you had to leave a message with our listeners today, what would it be? My message to listeners would be, you know, for those of you that have the uh, listening and you have the opportunity to employ people with disabilities, please do it. Please make a commitment to, you know, whatever you can do this year. Hire, you know, whether it's one person or 101. Just just make sure that you do it. Uh, it will change your workforce and it will change uh, the life of the person with a disability. Uh, for those, for people with disabilities, I would say, especially those of us, uh, those of you that have hidden disabilities, I would say stand up and be counted. Uh, Family members of people with disabilities stand up and be counted. We are still not recognized as an important group in this country that has any power. And until we are, we will not get the respect uh, that we deserve. And so I would say people need to be much more, uh, um, much more forthcoming about their disability, 
uh, and 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 why why it's important for all of us to have equal opportunity, especially in the area of employment. Oh, how true that is. Well, Chris, first of all, thank you so much for being our guest today. No, thank you. Thanks for asking me. I yeah, really Chris, Gri- Chris Griffin, Executive Director of the Disability Law Center of Massachusetts. So great to have you with us, Chris. And before we end the show today, we always end the show with a quote from a civil rights leader or a leader that has impacted quality of life for us, for people with disabilities in some way. So that quote today is, if you want to change the workforce of America for people with disabilities, just hire someone. That's what makes the difference, said Christine Griffin. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.